Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Law. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. Cesar, welcome back from your world travels. Cincinnati to California. Where was this conference? The Databricks conference? Where was that at? San Francisco. Okay. So you were in Cincinnati and then you went to... to yeah, I came here, Sacramento, and then I drove to San Francisco the day after or two days after and then spent the 4th of July weekend down south and then came back. Well, down yeah. south meaning... Well, not Southern California, more like okay. the Monterey okay. area. That's yeah. a nice area. I like Monterey. Yeah. Nice weather. Everybody yeah. was nice. How you been? Yeah, real good, real good. So where were you at in Cincinnati? In downtown, actually. Oh, downtown, the, okay. Yeah, in the city. It's it's nice. I had a... My hotel was the Cincinnatian, which it has like a hundred and something years old. Yeah, But yeah. it's all remodeled inside, so it had these weird looks in like old and new and stuff like that. So it was good. It was good to be back traveling, I guess, for work. Planes were packed. Uh, yeah. Masks are optional. Uh, so... Yeah, like however you feel like traveling, you can now. So yep, good. Yep. I'm here. That. The, the <laughs> biggest question though, if you went to Cincinnati, did you eat number one? Did you eat Montgomery Inn while you were there? No, oh, it was too fired. far. I didn't uh, have a car. There, no, there's one and then downtown. There's two Montgomery Inns. There's one up. Oh, off I didn't of, know that. Yeah, there's there's one That's downtown deep. as well. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, no, so there. I... Next question: Did you eat at Graders Ice Cream? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. And did you (laughs) see what's the other Cincinnati thing? Oh, Skyline. Did you eat Skyline chili? I ate it once in 2014 and it was (laughs) one time more that I wanted to. (laughs) I don't think we have many, many watchers or listeners from Cincinnati, but it's an acquired taste for somebody that grows there. I mean, I, I get it like in my hometown, we have weird stuff, yeah, uh, yeah. but that's not for me. So there's one in downtown I, I pass by and and I'm happy to pass by and that's it. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I'm, I'm not a fan. Of course, my wife's from Cincinnati, so it's like she's got all my girls brainwashed into liking it too. So <laughs> it's funny. It, cool. It's all just right. a mental a mental break where it's spaghetti and then chili on top so i i feel like it should taste like spaghetti with meat sauce and it it's way sweeter than that and then they put a top a ton of cheese on top of it i don't know not my thing i try it once that's it good (laughs) that's funny cool so then you you went back to san fran did you you didn't go to wwdc this year right no, I did apply, but I wasn't selected. I guess I haven't published any big updates or updates to apps in that whole lottery thing. The one yeah. time that I came out in the lottery was 2015. Mm-hmm. And it was a year that I published a lot of apps work and personal. I think I could publish a couple of ones. So I feel like lottery is, I feel like it's a lottery of the people that they know that are deploying apps. I don't feel like it's a fair game or I was just lucky that that year happened to be that way. I don't know. But no, I watched the keynote and I watched the State of the Union and I think a couple of other sessions and that was it. How about you? 
Yeah, I, I watched only the keynote. I didn't listen to any of the sessions, so I'm a little behind on any of the tech that that's going on there. Like, I don't even know if like they've updated cool things in Xcode. I doubt it. <laughs> but Swift UI, yeah. Swift UI is the future. Finally, uh, I mean, so are did they push a lot more? I mean, I know they've been pushing on Swift UI for a couple of years, but is there some cool new things this year? I think they are just trying, you know how Swift UI is that technology that you can build something really quick, really fast, and it works. But the yeah. moment you want to customize something, yeah, 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 it's yeah. like 200 lines of workarounds and hacks yeah. and Stack Overflow. Yeah, I think they're trying to solve those right now. Um, yeah. They're, they're adding new APIs and some state management and stuff like that from what I have seen. But I think the biggest change is that finally Apple said, this is the way to go where before you had like three ways to build ui like you have ui kit you have catalyst storyboards you well within ui kit you have you have the storyboards or by end or just type the classes and then right. swift ui so there were three different paradigms and i think now they decided like this is the this way, is the way that you're gonna, gonna go be. yeah i mean i like it it's funny to watch it evolve because it's it's reactive programming and so it's react really is what it is at the end of the day minus the html like dsl um mm -hmm. so it's funny to watch them come upon oh well in reactive program it creates this problem well how do we get around that oh we do this and oh it also creates this problem how do we get around and so then you know react has went from a library to 20,000 libraries because of all the things because just like anything in technology, you solve a problem, you create a problem. And yep. so reactive programming creates problems too. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's funny to watch Swift UI go through that evolution. You're like, oh yeah, they just figured out they need that. Oh yeah, they figured out this is a bad idea. Oh yeah, the state management actually is really hard. <laughs> yes, uh, along with the tooling, right? So sometimes yeah. like React is just figuring out the technology and they don't really get too much into the tooling, right? You have your tools and that's it. But in this case, they're also building Xcode features that go along with with Swift UI features and, right. and at the same time trying to push Swift as an open source language. So I don't know, it's just, if somebody can take that before it will be them. And I think they're they're doing it fine. Like I, as I said, you can build good things really fast. And as long as you stay with it, within the native components, you're for the most part good. Yeah. Once you try to break some of that or your UX designer or the UX inside you decides that you want to do something cool, Good luck, my friend. It's going to yeah, be a lot of workarounds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, so I had, you know, Fish Rules was written in Kotlin and Swift, and then I had a couple Swift UI things in it too. But when I switched to React Native a year ago, man, building custom UI is just so much easier in React Native. It's so much more expressive. It's more custom. Swift UI is a pain in the butt <laughs> when it comes to this, some of that custom stuff. And then even their tooling is just dumb. Like the, not maybe in this new one, it's not, but you know, you know how you get like that swift UI preview window mm -hmm. and that's that great. Breaks. It's great for demos, but as soon as you wire it up to anything, it's, it's done. Well, and it doesn't yeah, matter how composable you make the components. Like, okay, I'm going to reduce it to this one row. I'll run the preview on that row and then it never works. So. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it just breaks and it never comes back until whatever. Like you can close it and open it again and it still feels like something went wrong. Mm. But yes, they are telling you to 
if you're lucky enough to build all your components and they all work, the moment you do the Uber container that has all of them, it will just, I don't think it can handle it. So um, yeah, I, I feel I feel your pain. I think Xcode on the cloud, which is the CI, CD offering, mm-hmm. yeah. is going GA. So I saw that. I have seen a lot of positive feedback for native developers, but at the same time, they didn't really have anything before that other than custom runners on GitHub or GitLab or whatever you were using. So, I mean, good, but we will see what, what that's about. Yeah, hopefully, uh, what about it, the betas? It, hopefully it makes it better because I, I've always kind of laughed at the Xcode ecosystem when it comes to the build systems and stuff because it's like put together with everybody likes to make fun of node and all the node modules and all this stuff but it's like at least you jump in it's one ecosystem xcode it's like oh run this python script to get this and then run this ruby script to get this and then run this bash script to get this and then add it all to your you know your build schemes and for this version do this and it's so disjointed and then you jump into any project i don't care what it is you jumped in any serious ios project and it's always you go to the readme part of the repo of, a, of an app or whatever and it's 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 that way it's like oh you have to have python 2.7 but then ruby has to be this version and you have to run these scripts in this order and if it breaks then install it via brew instead of this and it's like it, the ecosystem's a mess when it comes to the build system in xcode i don't you can't convince me otherwise yeah i i'm not planning to it is one <laughs> of the most complex things and now with the swift package manager too yeah. uh where before you have cocoa pods and cocoa pods was depending on ruby and yeah it's it's not easy to be a native developer that's that's for sure and i what i what happened to me is that i have disconnected so much from the android environment Mm-hmm. that I don't see a lot of the benefits of the cross-platform tooling. Like if I'm building something on mobile, it will typically be iOS only. Yeah, so, um, so might as well just do Swift, yeah. Yeah, and for simple things, that's that's fine, but that's interesting. So what about the betas? Have you installed anything on any of your... Yeah, I have an iPad Air, the M1 chip one. So I installed it, and it was kind of funny. I was like, oh, what's going to be on there? And it was like, oh, it's literally the same thing. So I, nothing really stood out to me as, as interesting. I, I tried for about, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe less than that. W- what's it called? The new multitasking thing? I don't remember what uh, it's called. Stage manager, I think. Stage manager, that's it. I don't know. I I, I couldn't really figure out. I, I figured out after a little bit that, oh, you can move your cursor if you have like the mouse thingy bobby you know like if you mm-hmm. have the, the mouse pad trackpad or yep. whatever keyboard thing which i do i moved it you can see, just like on a in a mac you know you get the little arrows to resize so you can move it and resize it but you can't go over and on the left hand side there's like the apps like windows for the apps you can't actually click and drag it over and then resize them or whatever you actually have to go up to the dot, 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 click and put add an additional app. And then you pick the app, even huh. though you can see them over here. Um, and then I couldn't, I, I assume this is a bug because it's a beta, but I couldn't actually adjust the sizes. I don't know. I, and then I wanted to like, okay, let me put three apps in here. Cause I want to do this, this, this. And you couldn't do that. It was only two. And I'm like, well, what's the difference between that and the old split view? It's really not. I, I don't know. So I, I kind of struggled to see the benefit of it. The, the the promise the marketing part's interesting but 
it just was like split view to me. All right. So the windows of the left, and I haven't tried myself, but they are supposed to be other stages, right? So there are other groups of windows. And mm -hmm. yes, I have heard that complaint that you cannot simply just drag something else and draw, drop it. You got to start from where your stage is and then add stuff. Yeah, um, it's too many modes. That's the problem. So, you, you know, the like the kind of one of the mantras with user experience is... It actually, even in programming, is modes. It's a mode of of, of an operation or process or an, an UI. It's a mode that you toggle on and off. Those are usually considered bad things. Sometimes you have to do it. But the problem with stage manager is it is in a mode. Like you have to set modes. Like okay, this is my stage manager mode for this, and this is my stage. And you can mess it up. And I don't know how to save it. I don't know how to. How do I go back to my one setting? Just because I one time wanted to drag this thing over to check something and now it's all messed up and I lost my state. It's very confusing. I don't I don't I don't get it. It is for it is one of those attempts because it's also happening in the betas in Mac OS. It's one of those attempts to do window management different for different people. Like some people get used to spaces and mission control and uh, full screen and all yeah, of that. Right, I think right. it's just another iteration of that. And some people will like it. Some people will never get it. iPad Air seems to be a very small real estate for me to have multiple screens. Like I, I have an, a big 12.9 inches iPad Pro that is not M1. So I cannot really try it out. But I feel like that real estate will be good for like three apps, maybe. Uh, smaller than that, I don't I don't really know. So uh, we'll see. It's still betas, and I'm pretty sure they're still working on it. Yeah. At least they are trying to do something. So we will see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Honestly, my favorite thing that they've added in the iPad was last year where they're – like I, I have a I have this little stand here where I can put my iPad and my iPhone and some other things. And yeah. so I have it right over here by this monitor, and I, I'll stick it up there. And what's nice is you move your mouse over to the edge – and it just boop goes right over Ooh. into the iPad and you can use your mouse or your keyboard and you're controlling your iPad. It's not dual screen. It's the iPad you're controlling with the same mouse and keyboard you're controlling your Mac with. Honestly, that's my favorite feature they've added. Yeah, a long time. that's a good one. The universal yeah. control, I think it's the name. That was so, called, yeah. I like yeah, that. I think so. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. It actually, uh, you have to be in the same iCloud account so mm. for it to work, but it is... It is nice. I use it all the time too. I started to dig a little bit into focus modes because mm -hmm. I run different activities, especially now that I travel and stuff like that. So I create a few custom focus modes. Mm -hmm. It's nice how much you can filter notifications yeah. and home screens. And I guess in the new iOS, it's going to be like even the lock screen, like the wallpaper and everything. I think that's very cool. I think we're going to see a lot of people customizing the heck out of all their iPhones and they are not going to look the same. Like you can, you're changing fonts on the numbers. Like it seems exciting very as Android. a consumer. Yeah, it's, it seems exciting as consumers because we saw what everybody did with the custom shortcuts, I don't know, two, three years ago. From a developer perspective, uh, I don't know. I think still the Mac will probably take most of the stuff, especially because we're waiting for the Mac Pro and we got mm -hmm. the M2. So mm -hmm. I don't know. If I have mixed feelings <laughs> about the event. It wasn't bad. It's still, I think it's the right format to have this kind of hybrid where anybody can see most of the content. And mm -hmm. then for the people that want to be there and can be there and whatnot, they get to access the developers. So I think 
the format. I think they, I hope they keep it though. Yeah, I like it. I ordered the the M2, so the the MacBook Air. So we'll see how that goes. Ooh, which color? The it's that dark dark blue color. What is it called? <laughs> Almost black. It's probably midnight or deep blue. Yeah, midnight. Like that. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I ordered that. We'll see how it is. I mean, it it the it's pretty crazy. Like I don't know if you saw some of the benchmarks, but yeah, um, the one benchmark is like it's it's. Was it five times faster than the the base model Mac Pro that cost five thousand dollars more than it than MacBook Air? It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's it's apples and oranges, obviously, because there's different GPUs and all that stuff. But CPU but, is pretty. But now that the tooling has caught up with Apple Silicon, I feel like like you can start to compare them them one to one in a sense of you can do all your work. Like if you had mm. some limitations, then yes, right. but you probably like probably the only missing thing is virtual machines for somebody who wants to run windows, but I wouldn't do that. So but at least not again. So interesting. We're getting one. I think my wife wants to see what the starlight color looks. So we'll probably be at the store over the weekend and figure out if, if we get one of those. I don't know how back order they are. So she might have to wait a little bit, but who knows? Right. So I'll let you know. Cool. All right. So conferences. See. And then you went to Databricks. Yeah. Which I've yeah. heard a lot about, but I really don't know much about them other than you were telling me about it when you when you're on your way there or whatever. So I, I think it's more in your in your new current job. It falls under the the data realm, which is the stuff that you're going to be doing, right? Yeah. So I'm still an architect on the technology side, but there yeah. is a lot of data components and there is a data science organization. And I asked to be sent there just to try to understand that world a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everybody has heard a little bit about Databricks, and, but it's kind of like BigQuery that you you hear a lot the term, but if you are working on applications, you most likely are not going to use it. So I had the opportunity to go there. I think the whole theme of the conversation was destination lake. Now, trivia question for you. Wait, wait, so is that a... uh, Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. What is the lake house? What do you think when I say... So is that that like a data lake and a data warehouse and you throw it together? Is that what that is? Why would we have like some sort of like ringing bells like... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so... Let's explain that. So a data lake is where you have different sources of data. You have unstructured data along with some other structured data, but for the most, like you can have images and it's a lake, right? It has data of all kinds and it's just sitting there. And typically they are smaller than data warehouses as far as I understood. So, but the, the, the whole idea when that came up was unstructured data. Right, having some audio, video, whatever you want to have data for analysis. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but but a data warehouse is structured data, and it's a buttload of just data, big big time. So a a lake house would be unstructured with structured, or like what is okay. So don't quote me. Uh, if you quote me on this one, I don't care. But <laughs> it is. It, 
So here's what I took from the conference, right? Okay. So there is a need. So when you have data lakes, right, you have mm -hmm. to structure the data and do what we know as ETL, right? Extract, transform, and load the data into the warehouse, right? So you got to extract all the data and even some kind of data like images and media and stuff like that, you cannot really import into a warehouse. Yeah. Their idea was, well, you don't have to move data around from your data lake to your data warehouse. You can have all together in a very efficient way in different file formats. So uh, like Parquet, okay. uh, SQL, all that. So, so this is their marketing term for their product, which does all of that like within itself. What like So you can deploy in its own network and all that kind of stuff and it like... You do some That's, ETL and transforming process and it doesn't have to leave to go to the data warehouse or something like that. That's the marketing part. Yeah. From okay. the process side, then you move now to an ELT. So now you're extracting, loading, and then you do the transformation within your lake house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not moving the data. So you don't have to load it after you transform it. So which was interesting, right? Now the lake house itself runs in another technology, an open source technology called Delta Lake, which Delta is, Lake, as a yes. Delta Force Lake. Okay. So Delta <laughs> Lake. So yet another term. So it, it's a platform that it is trying to unify all of your data analytics and AI workloads. So now you have AI as well embedded into, into that because it seems for them like the right idea to run your AI workloads right next to where the data is. I mean, uh, that's fair. That that makes sense. Okay, so you're saying like, if I have a model that's already been trained, and I can run, I can deploy that into the lake house. Mm -hmm. Every time I say that, my lake house. So you can actually deploy that in Databricks. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. What about training okay. data? So you still have it there. It's in the lake house. It's just some, somewhere else, right? So yes. you have okay. access control. The other thing is they partner with the big clouds. So Google, AWS, and Azure. I happen to take the training as one of the personas, which we're going to talk a, a little bit. And I use an Azure Databricks environment, right? What does that mean? It means that I had like a guest Azure account mm -hmm. where I have data. And then you, through their offering, you connect to their account and they control what in the container world we will call the master nodes or the, mm -hmm. the data plane. Mm -hmm. So that they will control that, but your data always stay within your environment. And that means that it is going to stay in some sort of Azure blob, uh, mm -hmm. like blob or S3 compatible budget. So it's yeah. really cheap for you to store that, which in typical warehouses, according to them, it's more expensive, right? And it's probably true if you think about like SQL and whatnot. So that's the other thing. So once you have that basically to process your data through their tooling, you are creating a Spark cluster, right? And you're using PySpark, Python Spark, or SQL, or any of the different tools that they have, or your AI models to run on the Spark cluster, consuming the data from your own organization. So it's secure in the sense that your data never moves, which probably you don't want to move that amount of data. Does that make sense so far? It, it does. So what is the Databrick product though? Because you just you just described Spark. So is it like, do they just wrap a bunch of Apache technologies? Is that what they're doing? 
Well, so uh, we're going to talk about competitors in a bit, but uh, okay. Databricks as a company was founded by uh, academics from Berkeley, the okay. same academics that created the Spark and donated it to the Apache Foundation. Okay. So Delta Lake for Delta tables and, and things like that. It's also an open source tool. They have a thing called MLflow, which is also open source. And they build the enterprise offering on top of that. So think about it like Kafka. You know, Kafka became mm -hmm. Apache Kafka. It was it was homegrown in LinkedIn, then donated to the Apache Kafka. And then Confluent was created by the founders. So they yeah. kind of like know better. And they are probably the biggest contributor to the technology. Yep. So uh, that's kind of like the same play if we want to if we want to put some sort of analogy. Okay. Interesting. 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 Huh. Okay. So maybe a question is because you've, you've we've talked about what it what it is like. Who's it for? Because you you just mentioned all data engineer type personas is what it sounds like. It sounds like it's for ML personas. Is it do, do application? developers get anything out of it do they build apis on top of it is there tools for that like like where where's the line for for a lake house <laughs> <laughs> so for databricks so it's not for me <laughs> okay. no it's okay so i because none of the three profiles that they target is me or at least my career, I happen to take one of those trainings. So they have three main personas, right? You have three different, when you log in into Databricks, you have three views. One is the data scientist, right? The one okay. that you mentioned where you have your mobiles and, and you have clusters available and you can run your workloads and then give it to somebody else or deep provision or, or whatnot, right? There is a lot of ML operations, like workloads that you need to run consistently. So they mm -hmm. provide all, all that tooling embedded. So that's one thing. The other thing is we were talking about the ETL and ELT. Yeah. That would be data engineers, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So people that are used to very strong in SQL, they know Python enough to build the scripts. They do a lot of data dumping from one place mm -hmm. to another one, making sure that the data is clean. And and I, I can talk a little bit about the quality of data within the Blake house. Yeah, it's, it, it, it always feels funny. I have a shirt that I will wear next time that it says my other house is a lake house. Or something like that. <laughs> is that their, their marketing t-shirt? I love they it. Had, that's they that's had kind of three, cool. <laughs> they had three t-shirts. The three of them were pretty good. One was my other house was a lake house. The other one was talk data to me as opposed okay. to talk dirty. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, I get so it. it was like, cheesy. I didn't get that one. And that then was just, the other that was one. Cheesy. The other one, that is more for a data scientist than, than for me. The yeah. other one that I like was, I see a lake house in my future. That was the other one. Okay. So those were the three. Yet another turn. So, and then the third persona is your data analyst, right? So the people that are running Tableau or Power BI, and they are creating the dashboards with the good quality data that you get out of there, right? All the aggregations and stuff like that. So those are the three main personas. Obviously, mm -hmm. there are some DevOps involved there. Yeah. Uh, the concept for the data scientists, I don't know how much is based out of Jupyter notebooks, but you have Databricks notebooks embedded that are like uh, very similar to Jupyter notebooks in the way that you build them. But obviously, they have some sort of integrations within the platform that you I was going to say, there. I'm assuming there's some connections or something where you can just connect right into like some uh, standard protocols or whatever. Okay. But what about, okay, so you mentioned data analyst. 
I'm curious about that. So you've got all the stuff in here. You can run your ELTs and, and whatever else you're doing. And the data engineers can move things over into like, what do they call them? Silos or something? Or I, I get maybe back up. Okay. So I, let's, I'm a data analyst and I need to, I need to take whatever aggregated data and, and clean data, wherever that's at. Mm-hmm. So I could, I want to connect Tableau or Power BI or, or a Python notebook, whatever to it. What do I interact with? I interact with. With the note, like you will, you can start with a notebook or you can use one of the connectors to use like Power BI or Tableau. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the notebooks have the ability to run when you're typing text, obviously it's Markdown, but you can do Python or SQL, which is interesting, right? So like um, with Python, you can use pandas? Yes. To... Okay, cool. Pandas, data frames, pretty much any spacey. You can most of the stuff, and you can use the packages that are built for Spark, so it's distributed. Oh, okay. Computing, so it, it is cool. And then they also have Databricks SQL, which is a superset of SQL language that even my rusty skills of of SQL were able to make it work. And but it has some specific keywords to adhere to the lake house or the delta lake where mm-hmm. data breaks mm-hmm. itself right so you were talking about data the whole idea here is they created these three i don't know if if you have seen that in your end i don't think we have talked about this before but they have the concept of medallions for data right you have your bronze data which is pretty much raw data, right? Whatever you are, you can do a connector to Kafka and start yeah. absorbing all that data as it is. You don't do anything with it. You can, some sort of log aggregation, any transaction, any master record that it is just sending updates. Mm-hmm. You don't do any transformation there. And then you build your silver medallion, right? Where you will start to do some transformation of the data, right? Mm-hmm. You normalize it, you make sure that the fields match, you combine a couple of tables, you create a view, all of that, right? Yeah. That is still pretty much a one-to-one relationship with the data records, talking about records, right? And then once you get those, then the data analyst, they create the aggregations, which is your goal tier, right? Which is the actual data gives value to your business. And this is putting apart the data science persona, right? We're just talking about data engineers ingesting data and transforming it, and then data analysts picking it up. So that's their idea. All of it lives within within the lake house. So the cool thing about that is you can create things that are called Delta live tables. So basically- Like like, like virtual tables and memory tables? Not in memory, but tables that are in constant processing. So let's say that you are doing some aggregation, like you're doing some ingestion of Kafka events, right? Okay. And then you're doing some transformation of those. You're normalizing, removing some fields and uh, Mm -hmm. putting it into another table or Mm -hmm. creating a view out of that. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to run that constantly. It happens live. So as you're ingesting data, it's being cleaned up and it's being processed. And I think they, they at least they support, I don't know if, the, if it's the default format, but Parquet files with all the optimization of how many files you have and all of that. Yeah. So it's kind of like a constant flow of data. And then you can have some processes that could be live or could be repeated every day that does the aggregation. So think about like sales, right? So you are ingesting all the sales records from the point of sale systems. And then your bronze to 
uh, silver tier happen live. So as you are writing into the bronze tables, they have the data, the live tables hooked up. So they are being clean and ready to, to do. And then once every night you run your goal queries to create some views of aggregation, and then your data is always fresh. So it gives you a little bit more constant resource consumption and obviously, I guess, less maintenance for somebody or yeah. some process requesting. So I think that was interesting because you have all the data, you can do all that. So, okay. But, but what's the nitty gritty details of a What did you call it, a Delta live table? It's a Delta life table. Yes. The, yeah, they, they need the person that came up with that T-shirt about their lake house. They need to have that they person need to work on the... rename that product feature. So what's the, like, is it code you deploy to that? Is that what it is? Like, what, like, how do you... It could be a notebook, it? right? It could be okay. a notebook that, that it is set up. So you can hook up your, your Git repository, GitHub, GitLab, whatever, right? Azure repos. You can, and then keep your code there. So you basically, you deploy it and you have the Spark cluster kind of like live running some of those workloads and being okay. smart about uh, the resources. Yeah. I have some notes from the, going back to the conference, there was two days of talks and two days of training. So I actually took the data engineering training. Mm -hmm. So I have some notes here and I, I have some notes on Delta live tables. So pain points that it looks to solve complex pipeline development of data, right? So your things that you like that you, it's hard to transform the data. You can do it once and then forget about it or back it up to Git and then let it run data quality and governance. So you can do some, some governance on top of your silver tier that it wants that it is processed and detect any issues you can do quality, trust your data, racist exceptions. So it's all about like better data quality, right? They're not inventing something, something new. And the syntax is actually like, you'll be like create streaming live table, blah, 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 select from blah, blah, blah. Right. It's, okay. it's, it's a very SQL like. I query. see. I see. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yep. It, well, okay. Here's the next question I have then. Is it easy to use? Like across those three personas, who do you think oh. it's actually built for? Because like, you know how it is with products, especially enterprise products, especially a company as big as Databricks. As they grow, it's like, oh, we have to add this use case. And we have to, because, you know, you're adding enterprise customers. And they go, we're not going to buy unless you do this and this and this. And then it becomes bigger and bigger. Like, who, who is this? Is it easy for the person it's for? I, I think in order of, uh, how easy it is, I would say the data engineers get the most benefits of the platform. There's a mm -hmm. lot about processing data. I think the data scientists come next because now they're right next to the data and they can run mm -hmm. distributed uh, workflows and, and workloads of AI. Right. So they will be right after. I think the, the, the persona that gets the least benefit out of it is probably the data analyst because they still have to use some sort of connector like Tableau or or Power BI, right? So you still gotta gotta do your queries and stuff like that. You might it might be easier to run or maybe faster, but your work, I don't know how much it really changes. It, it's the uh, same thing. It's sense. just a different product that you get it from. That's fair. That's a good point. Yeah. It's that, just a data source that. for Power BI or or Tableau. They have a lot more connectors. Those are the two ones that are more relevant. But but yeah. I would mm -hmm. say I'll put it that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. You see, uh, it wasn't hard. Like I haven't done a lot of SQL for for a long time, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm, my SQL was rusty. But at the same time, I was able to go through the training. I am learning Python as part of the new job as well. So there were some Python scripts. So it wasn't hard. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Like I, I never felt lost. I was probably the the new fish there in the water with with all of them, right? Yeah. So I, I was the persona that had nothing to do with that because you don't go to a conference without knowing anything about the company, right? And that happened to be my case this year because. <laughs> but I was, I never felt lost. Like there were a lot of terms that I had to Google and stuff like that to mm-hmm. kind of like understand some of the value. But yeah. it's not a hard platform. I think the complexity is instantiating all of that and just like it is for enterprises. Like it's a lot of data and and you have to run your own cluster. Like you do have to have a pretty hefty credit card limit to to run some of that stuff. That's what I think. I don't know if there's like- So is that why I had to talk to a salesman? Because when you told me we were going to do this podcast, I was like, oh, let me go just play with it before the podcast. And I went to the website and it was like, have so-and-so contact you or whatever it was. I'm like, oh, I, it's it's probably the, it. It's one of those products. Got to talk to it's, a salesperson. It's probably it. I don't really know how you can run it. Like on my computer, I wouldn't know how to run it. Um, mm. And that's probably a bad thing or a good, I don't know. But I mean, within the company, we have a Databricks instance and you just request access and, and it's all set up. So I, I suspect there is some complexity in there. Yeah, They have a lot of customers. And as you said, it's a big Listen, big Listen, it's an enterprise company. So all of the complexity is going to be in the sales contract with how many seats... And which seat uses this many cores, and we're gonna d- divide it up by half of gigabytes of RAM per seat per half core. You know how all that garbage works. I'm not saying yep. Databricks does that, but I'm just saying I enterprise software. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I bet this is man. You're talking about data, like you're talking about data from enterprises. You think it's gonna be an easy contract signature? Like, oh, sure, man. you can run. You, like, you know what? You, you know how like you know how all the all of the crazy conversations in my career, maybe eighty percent of the crazy ones have always been with salespeople trying to come up with sales plans for people they don't understand, like the buyers they don't understand, and so they're trying. So you know, like if you could like rewind time and sit in some of those meetings where the VP of sales and guys are trying to come up with some like cost strategy. And they're like, we should charge per, per kilobyte of data per, per seat. Like it's a, it's a formula. We'll come up with a form. I got the spreadsheet right here. Look per kilobyte. And if you scale it across four seats and you, they get a discount. So then it's like, you know, they get a 10 cent discount per kilobyte if they have a hundred. So, you, you know, you know, that's exactly what they did. Like they sat there for a year and probably tried to figure all that out. <laughs> so you're going to laugh at this so hard. By um, the way, if, if Databricks people are listening, I'm sorry. I don't, I have no idea if this, uh, is, this is probably how not you. I, I'm just jaded. 
I'm jaded from the past, so sorry we about have that. Work, yeah, we have work on, on, on <laughs> a lot of enterprise. We have been on both ends, you and I. So yeah, this is nothing personal against Databricks. But we have seen all sorts of formula and charged by CPU or by memory. Or in the case, I have no idea how the pricing works. Like, like my job has nothing to do with that. So I mm-hmm. cannot speak of how easy it is in all seriousness. But going with your formula thing... I saw a concept of a DBU, which I assume means Databricks unit, which is how they charge for things. What does that mean? I have no idea. Exactly. And probably the customer has no idea either. It's like the salesperson is the only person who knows. And then he can make it mean whatever he wants to make it to mean, depending on how the conversation goes. (laughs) Yeah, there are ratios and there are a bunch of things. Like I I was there for the tech. So, uh, and and by no means, uh, actually, um, I like it. I I, it got me really hooked up into really explore a little bit my, my SQL skills, but more than that, Python. Like I'm, I'm excited to be building stuff with Python, and and even if it's the simplest thing that I gotta build, then I'm I'm choosing Python right now because it got me excited. I think it's, I don't know, it just it may, it accomplished that in me, which is interesting, right? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I've been using Python a lot for so. I, actually, we should probably do a a friction log or a podcast on hex hex.tech it's a cool like python notebook jupyter notebook kind of thing but simplified and more for data analysis and it's really cool but i've been using the pandas and all that with it too it's 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 actually kind of nicer than a lot of the other tools out there i actually i prefer it over sometimes you know there's like these super opinionated like tableau or some other ways mm-hmm. to build stuff and it's like eh, i just prefer to use pandas and build it myself yeah yep. i got it cool what else you want to know i mean i uh, this is a good episode yeah so i think the the last well i have two other big questions i always like to ask people when they go to conferences how's a conference how is it because i i don't generally like conferences i'm not a conference person and I, I i just don't get a lot out of conferences so i i i'm curious like what you thought about that and then Maybe the most beneficial thing about a conference to me is meeting interesting people and making contacts. So to me, that's the most important part of a conference, but maybe yeah. not for you. I don't know. So that's, that's that one. And the next question is competitors. Like who, who's a competitor of Databricks? I don't even know. Like, do they compete, compete with S- Snowflake or do they compete with like, mm-hmm. like what, what's, what's their, who's their competitor? It sounds like they are doing a lot of different things. So those yeah, are my, so- my two questions. I think there are they are attractive co- to companies that are trying to get out of Hadoop, right? Hadoop on-premises, okay. they're trying to move to the cloud. I think People that's... Still that, use Hadoop? Yes, and especially <laughs> enterprise software, as you will know. Yeah. So, so yes, there is, the, there is that, right? So that is one area. Competitors, I guess, I don't know if anybody else is building something on top of Spark or using Delta Lake as the open source tool to build something else. I don't know what that really... I mean, it's open source and they're probably the biggest maintainer, but does that mean that there's another company doing something about it? And if so, they're probably a competitor to some degree, which there, there might be one that builds something for you and I to, that we don't have to talk to a salesperson to use it personally, right? Mm-hmm. Play around with it. So that might be good. Mm-hmm. Snowflake, it's good that you mentioned that. So... Without knowing anything, I know very little about Snowflake and it's more on the side of the data warehouses. And I think before the lake house, 
Databricks was more on the on the on the other side, which is the data lakes. Mm-hmm. So now that they're going with this hybrid, they are in a, what I will call a collision course with Snowflake in offerings. So the Snowflake conference was in Vegas, I think, three weeks before, and I mm-hmm. had some colleagues that went there. Yeah. So I. I think because we use both, I think we are like, there are a lot of overlapping features being built now. So they are trying, they're definitely getting into a place where they're going to compete with each other. Well, um, here's a way to tell really quick. So in your company, if you have people that are using Databricks and people are using Snow, Snowflake, do they, they're like, oh, Databricks, that's garbage. We use Snowflake and Databricks people are like, ah, oh, Snowflake, that's old. That's, that's like 30 tech years old or whatever. Like, is there, is there this? When it comes to that, I haven't met the Snowflake people, I would say, or I haven't <laughs> met many of them. I was at the Databricks conference and there were 10, 13 of us, mm-hmm. and they got very excited about some of the features that compete with Snowflake. So I suspect there is. So that's why I say maybe there wasn't and there was some sort of friction only. And it was like different technologies with different approaches. Now they're yeah, building yeah features that compete with each other. So we shall see if that actually becomes a thing. Now, going back to your last question, how was the conference? I'm, I'm, I don't know, because for some scenarios, I'm very social and I can talk to anybody. For conferences, I don't feel like it. It's weird for me to socialize some things because uh, you can't really talk to the vendors. They try to sell you something. Uh, by mm. the way, I saw a booth from Rockset, which we did the friction log a while ago. So it was Rockset's kind of cool. cool to see I it. like yeah. Rockset. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, so you can't really talk to the booth people too, because they always want to sell you something. And then you're going to get that 100 emails uh, of marketing um, <laughs> so in exchange true. for a t shirt. Right. So it, if it's you're a cool t shirt, it's worth it. Yeah. Cool. Notebooks and water bottles and things like that. All of that, they are not free. They cost you marketing emails for the next six months or so, right? So meeting other people, I was definitely not somebody that you will sit and talk about Databricks and how cool it is in your company. So I was totally out of that loop. Mm-hmm. In the training, I met a couple of people, interesting, uh, an academic and and somebody that was working as a software engineer or, or data engineer, I would say. Yeah. So two, three people that you meet. and But I i don't know why I'm not that social on, on conferences. The keynote, I mean, I think I enjoyed the fact that it was my first conference after lockdowns and, and everything. So it was good to be, to walk around the city and go there. The food is horrible. Like it, the food was just bad. Like I, I have no... The catered it, food. Yes, the food was just... I mean, the boxes and all of it, it was just, they had some, they call it burrito, which you and I have talked about burritos. And it wasn't even like, like what you're thinking. Like there was no salt in it. It's not even good (laughs) Tex-Mex. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good at all. Like it, and I ended up taking the bit, like a couple of times. Sorry, I I I really want to make some jokes right now, but I won't. I don't know if I have pictures about the food. If I find something, I'll say you to you so it was good to be there a keynote was fun there were a couple of sessions you know they have like a keynote in the afternoon or the second yeah. day where they invite like some interesting people i'll look mm-hmm. up the names there were good sessions about like talent growth and women on code and like some of that stuff which i enjoy i think that's a good uh 
That's a good content out of the conference. I didn't see any books or anything like that. Sometimes they have like a speaker that also wrote a book and I didn't see any of that this time. The talks were good. They had a lot of partner talks. I mostly went to the ones presented by Databricks and some of the connectors. So because they this lake house thing is is a new thing, all of it was around it and how people react and to the news and the new features. I think that was fun. I think it's hard to to get it. Now, will I pay for that conference? No, I probably wouldn't pay. I'm not the persona. But, I was general, say, but, but be but to be fair, probably nobody does, right? That like companies send their people there to learn about it or whatever. So that that's that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's the not like a it's not like a React conference where half of the mm-hmm. people at React probably pay their own way, <laughs> and the yeah. other half for a company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it's hard to say some of those things, but mm-hmm. it was good. Like I, for me, the special part was the fact that I was able to meet my colleagues, right? Because they were like 12, 14, and I was new to the company. I'm still new. So I got to talk to actual data scientists that otherwise it will be hard for me to, or not hard, but it will take months before I actually dig so deep in my role that I need to talk to them. So it was good to get some exposure to see how they like their background. And that part of the socialization that I like it, right? Like we had dinner, it was fun. No, uh, I have no, I have no complaints. So that's how I put it. Like a lot of mixed reactions, but overall, thumbs up. It was fun. I learned a ton. It got me excited on Python. Now I, I have my T-shirt about the lake house that I'll wear someday. And I got good content for this episode, which I, I feel very good about it. I think we, we, we have a good thing here. Cool. Ah, right. awesome. Well, I learned some things. I want to try it. I just don't want to talk to a salesperson, but that's cool. That's that's. It sounds very useful. I mean, it's not the, everything you're saying is like checking boxes of problems that I know ML and data engineering just struggles with everywhere. So it's interesting. Thanks, Cesar. Appreciate it, man. Oh yeah, thanks. And I guess we'll talk to everybody next a week or two. Yep. All right. See you later. All right. See ya.